Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. We all know about that in my life and how hard that's been for me and also my listeners. You guys hear them talking about it on the mailbags. It is hard to manage finances with a partner. Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry, I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now and planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Hoo-ah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's bad with money with Gabby Dunn. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn, and this is my show, Bad With Money, a podcast about finances and feelings for real people who want relatable advice and education. You all saw the title of this episode. Let's get into it. Do you know how easy it would be to cancel all federal student loan debt? The numbers quoted everywhere, including the Office of Federal Student Aid and educationdata.org, show that around 45.3 million Americans have debt that totals $1.6 trillion. $1.6 trillion, with a TR. Since taking office in January, and as of July 9th when I'm writing this, President Joe Biden has canceled a total of $3 billion of that debt. Yet somehow that doesn't even scratch the surface. Is it true that the president could cancel $50,000 of federal student loan debt per borrower, which is the prevailing congressional proposal, by taking five minutes to sign an executive order? Yeah, kinda. 
Biden could really grab an ice cream cone with one hand and sign away 50K of student debt with the other. So if that's true, then why doesn't he? That's what Senator Elizabeth Warren came on Bad With Money to ask. And baby, I did want to talk about student loans and the wealth tax, which we'll get into in a bit. When it comes to canceling student loan debt, I constantly waffle between extreme frustration because it would be unbelievably easy to questioning myself, wondering if maybe that's a naive thought. Is canceling student debt with the flick of a pen actually a grand oversimplification? Yes and no. Biden has said he's unclear on if he actually has the legal power to do so. Congress, allegedly, doesn't have enough bipartisan support for the idea, or at least not enough of them agree on the amount or for whom it applies. Warren believes that the president doesn't need authorization from Congress. Biden seems to believe he does and is wary of unilaterally acting because there could maybe be some legal pushback or criticism. The banks would be pissed. After all my research, it seems to come down to semantics, and that sucks. We could sit here and parse out whether the Department of Education's authority includes canceling student loan borrowers' federal student loan debt. Or we could stop licking the boots of bureaucracy and just do it for all federal loan borrowers in an unlimited fashion. Screw 50K with an income limit. Do it for everyone, you cowards. It's not likely. And not even what senators like Warren are asking for. According to a July 8th Forbes article, the leading proposal in Congress would limit student loan forgiveness to up to 50K per student loan borrower and applies only to federal student loans and would apply only to student loan borrowers who earn up to $125,000 annually. So if you make more than that, you don't apply. It all alternately feels like a pipe dream and then just like sand slipping through our fingers if only we could close our fists. And I couldn't let her go without digging into the wealth tax. Billionaires have made money during the pandemic. And as we know, they do not pay their fair share. In the meantime... Elizabeth Warren, who told me off mic she wants to dye her hair pink and that she loves free swag like hats and mugs, was a guest on my queer finance show, Bad With Money. And I think it's because you, my listeners, have shown you are engaged, you care, you want to fight. Big people want to come on here and talk to y'all? We did it, Joe. Oh my god. (laughs) Okay, allow Elizabeth Warren to introduce herself. I'm Elizabeth Warren. I am the senior senator from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and an all-round pain in the rear of bad guys. That's very true. So my first question is, and not to say a bad guy, but how quickly could President Biden just cancel all student debt? Uh, it take him about two-tenths of a second. Okay, so say more about that. <laughs> it's, no, I mean that. Literally, it's the case that the president of the United States, through his Department of Education, could sign a piece of paper. And as a result of that, we could end up with about $50,000 worth of student loan debt canceled for the tens of millions of people who are carrying student loan debt. 
that's already in the law. We don't need any new thing from the Senate. We don't need any new thing from the House. We don't need any new thing that the lobbyists can get in there and fight about. President can do it all by himself. And I really, 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 really want him to do it. Why is this not happening? <laughs> so You'd have to ask the president about that. But you know, you ask the right question because right now we've got about 43 million Americans who are dealing with student loan debt. Some are doing just fine, but a whole ton of them are not doing fine. In fact, they're doing so not fine that when the pandemic hit, President Trump said, we're just going to suspend student loan debt payments. And by the way, that's about $5 billion a month that would have been added to everybody's student loan debt. President Trump just canceled it, said, we're never going to collect it. We're not going to try to collect it. We rewrote those student loan debt contracts for everybody, rich, poor, and in between. And then President Biden, when he came in, said the same thing. He's going to continue to extend it. But we got some scary stuff in front of us. And that is those student loan debt payments are scheduled right now to start again on October 1st, which is not so far away. And it's going to be, you know, the average is around $400 a month. Right. For some people, it's going to be a whole lot more than that. For some, it'll be less than that. Think of it this way. It's hard for individuals, but it also is a real economic drag on the economy. Mm -hmm. One reason our economy has done as well as it has during the pandemic and kind of bounced back has been that people haven't had to make that monthly payment. So what I've been urging the president, along with Senate leader Chuck Schumer, two of us have been saying, first of all, just go ahead and extend right now the promise that you're not going to try to collect, extend that to next spring, but let's cancel $50,000 of student loan debt. That would mean 38 million people would owe no student loan debt Mm -hmm. at all. And for the remainder, we'll work out payment programs that work for them. There's two issues that you're on about. One is extending the deadline and one is canceling student loan debt. Is it a game of like, if I could get the second one, I don't need the first one? (laughs) You know, you are right about that. If we can get the second one, then we can bring the 15% of people who would who now have student loan debt who would still have student loan debt. It's a lot easier to manage mm-hmm. 15% than it is to manage 100% of the folks with student loan debt. And, you know, here's the thing about it. I just want to give you a profile kind of of who really gets impacted by this because sometimes it's you get this vision in your brain and you, you don't quite hook into it. About 40% of the people who have student loan debt don't have a college degree. Right. Yep. They never finished. That's right. And, and you know, God bless them. A lot of them are people who tried, and that's what we want people to be able to do. These are people who didn't come from families that could just write a check for them to go to college. They tried. They borrowed the money, signed up, and then life happened. Yeah. They had babies. They were working three jobs. Mom got sick. Yeah. They moved. Uh, They got laid off. The pieces fell apart. So now 40% of the people with student loan debt, think about this, they earn 
at the level a high school graduate earns. Right. But they're trying to pay down student loan debt. And these are folks, a lot of them have $30,000, $40,000 of student loan debt. It's not a huge sum if you're earning at a college level. Right. But it's just a bone crusher for somebody who's who's in there bouncing maybe just a little above minimum wage. So that's part of it. It's punishing people for trying to move up classes. And it's like so anti-American. Yep. Yep. It's punishing people who I always think of as people who try. If you don't mm-hmm. try, you don't end up with student loan debt, right? Or right. if you're born into a family of privilege, you don't end up with student loan debt. But it's all those folks in between, many of whom tried and it didn't work out. Another thing about the student loan debt is how much it is about the racial wealth gap in America. Mm -hmm. So African-Americans, Latinx, borrow more money to go to school, borrow more money while they're in school, and have a harder time paying it off when they get out of school. You know, there's, there's one stat, I mean, there's a million stats around this that I work on and kind of, you know, deep into the data, but I want to give you one. And that is, we've looked at the data, and 20 years out, think about this, 20 years after you leave college, the average white person who borrowed student loan money owes about 5% of the amount they still owed. So that tells you the average person is still paying 20 years later. Other words, not great, but the end is in sight. Mm -hmm. The average African-American still owes about 95% of what they owed when they left school 20 years earlier. Think about that. That means not only is the end not in sight, we're talking about people who may be dealing with student loan debt until they die. The single biggest thing the President of the United States could do to help close the racial wealth gap in America for people who have student loan debt is cancel $50,000 of student loan debt. It would help close the black-white wealth gap by about 25 points and the Latinx-white wealth gap by 27 points. So just nothing else the president could do to move the needle that significantly. So I keep those cards and letters coming in. We need to tell the president to do this. It just seems like a no-brainer, yeah. but I was going to ask, like, what would you say to, you know, a lot of friends of mine just say, I'm going to die with my debt? No, we can change that. This is policy. This is American policy. We have made changes in student loan program. President Obama did it. President Trump did it. President Biden has already done it. I just want him to take this step, this big step, because if he does... It not only will help your friends individually, frankly, we should all have an interest in it, whether you have student loan debt or not. Student loan debt is keeping people from moving out of their parents' homes, Mm -hmm. keeping people, you could finish this one for me, Gabby, keeping people from buying homes, right? Mm -hmm. It's keeping people, the data show, from starting their own small businesses. Yeah, in bad jobs. That's exactly Mm -hmm. right. This is when... We need people, young people, to be part of this economy. And the best way to get them in is to say, we're going to cancel $50,000 of student loan debt. 
ask briefly about the wealth tax uh -huh. situation. And I saw a tweet of yours that said, by getting out of paying taxes, billionaires and giant corporations have been riding the backs of hardworking families. The American people know they're getting the wrong end of the deal. We must make the rich and powerful pay for their fair share. And I was going to say, I love this sentiment. I worry that American people don't know just how raw of a deal they're getting. Like, I think we've been sold this lie that one day we could become billionaires or heads of giant corporations, and we don't think of their ascents as being on our backs or our families' backs. So how do you think we combat this, like, false idealizing of the American dream so that people, like, really do wake up and ask for more from billionaires and corporations? So I think part of it, is people are getting a pretty good picture of this. When it turns out that Jeff Bezos pays nothing, when right. it turns out that one billionaire after another pays either teeny, teeny little bit of their money or they pay nothing. People get mm -hmm. this. People who are hardworking folks, shoot, people making minimum wage, they pay their taxes. And somebody has to pay the taxes to keep this country going. So... Right. I do a little numbers again. Bear with me here. The 99% in America last year paid about 7.2% of their total wealth in taxes. All in in your federal taxes. 99% right. paid that. The top one-tenth of 1%, 1 the super millionaires and billionaires, they paid about 3.2%. Right. So... You know, come on, guys. Let's just level the playing field a little. Do you think the average person realizes that? I feel like people go, well, they just work harder. or You know, I, I don't know that. I think maybe they're waking up to it. I think they're waking up to it. And the thing is, I'll tell you, Gabby, the polling data shows that the American people want to see us put a wealth tax in place. Right. It's the lobbyists and the lawyers and the billionaires and their buddies who do a lot of fundraising with those billionaires in Washington who don't want to see it happen. So I, my sense is there's, this is one of those where I think Washington is behind the curve of where the American people are. Mm -hmm. I think the American people would like to see us make millionaires and billionaires pay a fair share. And by the way, the wealth tax, come on. The, 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 you know, these billionaires take to their fainting couches over it. You know, I Leon know. Cooperman boohoos on national <laughs> television. Can you believe this? And what I'm talking about is for fortunes above $50 million that they pay two cents right. on the part above $50 million. If they hit a billion, oh, you got to bump that up to three cents. Right. So these guys are growing their fortunes at Six, eight, ten, twelve percent a year. All it means is they just don't get to grow them quite so fast. So I think the American people get it. I think they get it with giant corporations. Mm -hmm. The Amazons of the world make eleven billion dollars in profits, pay nothing right. in federal income taxes. And I think they get it in a third way, and that is that the IRS is, they enforce the tax laws mm -hmm. against people who make salaries, against people who are, work on an hourly basis, minimum right. wage workers, but they're not tracking down. The, the agency has been so hollowed out. The real tax cheating appears to be at the very top, and the IRS just doesn't have the personnel to go after them. So 
you make three corrections in what we do right now on taxes. Think about it this way, Gabby. We put a wealth tax in place. We put a real corporate profits tax in place that basically is just a minimum tax. Right. Not raising the rate overall, just a minimum tax. So they can't use all those loopholes. And the third is you give the IRS money and tell them to go enforce the laws that are Mm -hmm. already in place against the top 1%. Those three things would yield about $6 trillion in revenues over the next 10 years. It's unimaginable. (laughs) That's everything that Bernie Sanders and I are looking for in the infrastructure Mm -hmm. bill. We could do it all without without costing American families a single penny. I mean, you're right that it's behind the scenes, it's lobbies, it's that they have so much money. It feels sometimes like screaming into a void or like insurmountable in a lot of ways. That's what it's like. No, you are exactly (laughs) right. But you know, here's the thing about it, Gabby. I always think of it this way. Is the rich guys, they have all the advantages that concentrated money gives you. They can call each other. They can call people in government. They can put an army of lobbyists out there. They can put an army of lawyers out there. So they've got those advantages, and they can afford to do that. But you know what we got? (laughs) There's a whole lot more of us than there is of them. That is true. And if we raise our voices, why why do you think the idea is still alive for a wealth tax? Mm-hmm. It's because enough people around this country say, damn it, I've, I've had it with the billionaires. And there's yeah. so many good ways to raise your voice. Go to a town hall, whether it's virtual mm-hmm. or in person, and just raise your hand and ask your senator, Democrat or Republican, are you for a wealth tax? And if the person hems and haws and does the shuffle and kind of dances and sideways, ask them why not? Yeah. Why should you be paying to keep, you know, roads and bridges safe and you should be paying to keep the military operational and you should be paying to keep our government running. But billionaires who've made so much in this country, they shouldn't pay at least what you're paying. Yeah. I would love to not have the military operational, but that's my own politics. In just a minute, I want to talk to you about something I've observed about the way you've been going about your work recently. So I was also wondering, you've been pushing for so much. Obviously, you're working so hard and I've been watching you the last few years and it seems like to me, your confidence in your positions has become way more untouchable. Not to say you didn't fight hard before, but do you feel like you have the freedom to push more left now with less compromise because it's just, I'm appealing to who already likes me and I don't care anymore? <laughs> you know, it's funny for me, Gabby. I I know that politicians talk a lot about, well, you know, it's hard to make these decisions. It's not very hard for me. It doesn't seem like it. Frankly, it never has been very hard. I know what I believe in. And I know mm-hmm. what, the, what, the, what the data show me, what the numbers show me. Here's how I see it. Progressive issues are popular. And I know everybody wants to do this kind of false equivalence, well, the, the left and the right. And so, no, what the right is trying to sell is not 
popular. Mm -hmm. Saying, "Oh, I know. Let's let giant corporations get away with paying nothing. Let's cut their taxes even more. Let's deregulate them so they can dump their poop in the lakes and rivers." Right?、Mm -hmm. Most Americans are like, "Nah, I don't think that's such a great idea." And I'm not just、right. talking about most Democrats. I'm talking about most Americans. So the wealth tax. Popular among Democrats, Independents, and Republicans, raising the minimum wage. Popular among Democrats, Independents, and Republicans, expanding health care coverage. Like, for example, giving Medicare, vision, dental, and hearing coverage because seniors need this. That's popular across the board. Canceling student loan debt. Popular across the board. I know. I don't know how that became a partisan issue. It's so ridiculous. Exactly. So I feel like I get out there and fight for things that lobbyists may not like, right? And certain ideologues may not like. But by and large, I feel like most of the stuff I'm out there fighting for, universal childcare, right. Is stuff that's really popular, and it's not just really popular with mamas and daddies, although very popular with them. It's popular across the board. People say, "Yeah,、mm -hmm. we should be doing this," and they say it both because it's the right thing to do to create opportunity for everybody, but it's also、mm -hmm. the right thing to do for our economy. Yeah, you want to drive up GDP. You need mamas to be able to go to work. Yeah, you need all parents. You need all parents to be able to go to work, and that's not going to happen if there's no childcare. Right. It's making partisan issues things that are not partisan. Yep. So I usually ask my guests, "Where can people find you and follow you?" It seems silly to ask, but where can people find you and follow you? <laughs> so they can follow me at. At Sen S E N, short for Senator Warren. Perfect. And I love to have anybody join us. We have a good time. It's so good to get a chance to visit with you, Gabby. Listening back, all I can think is that I hope I did a good job. I think I did. But now we're going to talk to my dear college friend Casey Fielding, a Boston local who studied writing and publishing at Emerson College. We worked on the school newspaper together and have had many drunken, hilarious evenings. When I went looking for a friend to speak on student loans, Casey volunteered herself, and I wanted to have her on over some other friends in show business who also have loans. Casey's not in Hollywood. After college, she worked in restaurants and then now as a real estate agent. If you're looking for one in Boston, I recommend her highly. She's not an influencer or an actress. She's more like the listenership of this show than even I am at this point, and she believes she's going to die with her loans. Just like the people I asked Senator Warren about, Casey's real, not a hypothetical in a politician's talking points. Let's hear from her. I am Casey Fielding. We met way back in the beautiful days of Emerson College, and I am now in real estate at this moment, which I did not go to Emerson College for. So, yeah, we're going to get into that. <laughs> so we met on the the student newspaper,、mm -hmm. and you were a writing, literature, and publishing major. Yes, which is a, a major at Emerson.、Uh, and so, why did you decide to go to Emerson? I had actually never heard of it until my junior year in high school, and I had like a cool new guy teacher who was like, "You're a good writer. You should go to Emerson. They have a journalism program. You you'd be great." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, I want to do that." And that was that. You're local. You're from the Boston area. Yes. Yeah. And I actually always thought I would go to school in New York, which 
is weird because I actually hate it there. And <laughs> I don't know why I thought that would be where I'd go to college. I felt like that, that wasn't enough of the movies and stuff. It's like, yeah, that's a good plan. Let's do that. Let's live that dream. Oh, well, there's like that thing at Emerson that's like, you went to Emerson because you didn't get into NYU. And I'm always <laughs> like, that's not true. I went to Emerson because I didn't get into Northwestern. How dare you? <laughs> oh, no. But so, yeah, so you're from that, you're from Lemonster, which is an yep. area in, in Boston. And Boston has a lot of public colleges. Did yeah. you apply to any of those or you just applied to private college? So I, I went to high school in like central mass and you have to take all those like goofy standardized tests. And if you like do really well, then they'll give you a scholarship to pretty much any like state school. And you could basically go to UMass for free. And I got one of those and I was like, mm, but no, I have to do the dream thing, which was the mm-hmm. dumbest, dumbest thing. <laughs> I did the same thing. They have, they have something called the bright futures in Florida. And basically if you get that, you can go to any Florida school. And I was like, I'm not going to go to UF with all of my people from high school and all and my boyfriend who I was trying to get away from and all of these people. I'm not going to University of Florida. I'm yep. going to apply to all of these private colleges. I had no concept. So let's get into that. Did you have any concept of the loan situation when you enrolled? Oh, no. So my the first thing that my dad said to me when I told him, so like, I, I make fun of him for this and I used to be mad at him for it. And now I'm like, oh, I should have listened to you. At the time, I thought it was mean, but he's like, well, who's going to pay for that? Like when I told him I got into school, he's like, we can't afford that. And I was like, I can do whatever I want. This is America. And like, I should have listened to him because he was right. Like we, no one can afford that. Right, right, right. So Emerson's expensive. I had loans from Emerson. So what did they end up totaling? Uh, I think it ended up being, I want to say 70, 80,000 mm-hmm. or something at the end of the day. When you graduated? Yeah. Which is where it stands now. Yeah, where it stands now. So, yeah. okay. So you leave college. Yes. And then is this private and federal loans? Yes. Okay. So you leave college and how did you feel about the loan situation when you left? Well, so that's, it's a big, scary number and it seems like it'll never, like you're like, that's a ridiculous amount of dollars. That's, but like, but they tell you when you, when you sign all the paperwork, like I basically was like, I have no money. And they were like, that's okay. We can give you financial aid. And I was like, cool, that must be free. And they're like, well, you know, when you graduate, you're going to have a degree, you're going to get a great job. You're going to make a ton of money. So paying this back is going to be easy. And I was like, sure. Yeah. Sounds good. Very optimistic. Let's go with that. So, you know, I wasn't scared about it necessarily because I just like thought it would just work out. You know, no one in my family, like my parents didn't go to college. They had no real idea of how any of this works. They were like, I don't know. Yeah. You get a good paying job and you'll just pay it back. It's like, yeah, cool. And that's just really not what happens (laughs) at a certain point it feels like the debt is a giant hole. And every $127 payment that I make is like taking a spoon and throwing dirt in the hole. And it's like, well, you're never going to fill this hole. So like, maybe we don't bother. Maybe we just don't bother trying to fill the hole. So I did that for a while, which is very responsible and good. That's a good thing to do. (laughs) So like, has it affected anything for you? My credit score is not great. (laughs) You know, when it comes time to like buy a house or do anything where you want to get big money for like, yeah, I have this big lingering debt that it's like, yeah, you owe $71,000. How are you planning on handling that? And if I tell anyone like, oh, I have no plan. It's like, (laughs) oh, very good. Great. (laughs) Well, we're not going to give you more money. So what's the plan supposed to be? I don't know what they're expecting. It just, it just feels insurmountable because the only way to pay it 
and make it even seem like you're paying towards it in a big way is to put big money towards it because the interest, it just keeps adding on. So you, it just keeps growing even as it goes down. So then it just feels like it will never go away unless you just are completely giving all of your extra dollars to it, which I don't feel like that's any way to live either. I don't know. No, totally. <laughs> when you hear all these politicians talk about student loan forgiveness, like what do you think of that? It feels like something that's almost too good to be true. Like I feel very skeptical about it happening just because it feels like a nice thing to do for a lot of people. And I don't feel optimistic about that happening, <laughs> but, but it would be very cool. So it feels like a politician's talking mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Do you have hope that they're going to maybe do it? I mean, I have hope. I hope <laughs> they'll do yeah. it. And college in itself is a racket financially. Like it's just so, it's just so much. Mm-hmm. And everybody that goes and that spends that kind of money or like commits that kind of financial burden to themselves is like really, you know, your, your intentions are good. You're trying to, you know, mm-hmm. figure stuff out and learn some stuff and get yourself somewhere in life. Cause you think that's the right path for you. And we all ended up just drowning in it afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where could the young people of bad with money find you? If your audience would like to be directed to my social media, they'll pretty much just find lots of pictures of my dog. <laughs> it's not a super exciting place to go. But if you wanted to go to my Instagram, you can find me at Casey underscore lately. That is where you can see my dog and her antics and several pictures of Fenway Park as well. That's pretty much all I <laughs> get going on there. <laughs> is there like a real estate website they could go to? So... I have yet to really beef up my social media to be uh, super professional, but my work email is there too. So if any Boston area peeps are looking for rentals or sales, you can find me. <laughs> I can help you <laughs> at, uh, at William Ravis. So pay off Casey's student loans. Yes. <laughs> Buy a big expensive Boston condo for me so I can pay off my student loans and stop avoiding my credit score. Casey is exactly who Senator Warren and I talked about. Someone who went to college, not just because TV and movies and the news told her to, but because she wanted to rise above her economic station. She wanted to do what her parents didn't, get a degree where she could work in that field. And then it just didn't happen. This is the story that is all too common. And now so many Americans are held back just because real life has done its thing. And it would be so easy to lift this burden. In apart from this episode, I say that this is anti-American. That's what we're told. America is about success stories. But I take it back. This class warfare is supremely American. We should be congratulating people who try, and instead, we're punishing them. While writing this very outro for this episode, I went on live on Instagram and talked to some fans about the takeaways from an episode about student loans, the wealth tax, and class without spoiling who our guest was. Here's what that brain trust came up with. Maybe Biden just doesn't want to be called a socialist. That's the kiss of death, apparently, in the political arena for some scare tactic reason created by the right and piggybacking off of the McCarthy era? Unclear. Although I guess communist red scares are kind of weaved into the long fabric of this country's history. Maybe he's afraid of the bank's reactions. Some pointed out that unraveling an entire industry takes careful compliance and time, even if that industry is evil. 
Probably rich people just want to keep gatekeeping education, and raising people up out of debt would allow for more choices, for more people, and more time to think and organize for lower class people, and lord knows we can't have that. The idea of public outcry from the average American on behalf of saving banking institutions and corporate loaning interests is truly wild. But we know that economically disadvantaged people vote against their own interests all the time. Pointed out again by the pushback on the wealth tax by not just the rich, but also the poor. But then again, billionaire Leon Cooperman needs someone to believe his alligator tears. Thank you, Elizabeth Warren, for being on the show. I'm grateful for your time. And thank you to Casey Fielding for being so open and vulnerable. Let me know what you all thought about this episode on the Bad With Money Facebook group, which I'll link below, and on the Bad With Money Instagram, at BWMPod. I've been doing this show since 2016, when I didn't know anything. And now it's a show big politicians want to come on to. We did it, Joe. Okay, I'm sorry, that's the last time. Done. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.